1: Arsman, Marketing and Communications Specialist with the American Horse Council. And I'm Julie Broadway, President at the American Horse Council,
3: and you're listening to the special monthly American Horse Council episode of Horses in the Morning on Horse Radio Network. Good morning, Horse World. It's time to hear from the American Horse Council in this monthly episode of Horses in the Morning.
0: Well, hi guys, Glenn here, and I just want to welcome you to my show. I'm so excited because the American Horse Council is going to be doing once a month. You guys are going to be, what, the first Tuesday of every month. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I know Julie and I, we've talked about this for years and years and years, and now it's finally getting done. (laughs) So welcome. I'm glad to have you both.
3: We're excited about reaching this new audience and some folks that might not be familiar with the American Horse Council, letting them learn a little bit about some of the legislative, regulatory, and other industry initiatives we do, and then also some of the fun things that we do.
0: Well, you know, and it is important because all that regulatory stuff, every horse owner is affected by it in one way or another eventually, right? So, exactly. you know, whether we realize it or not, we might not be aware of what's going on, but we we learn about it later. Uh Julie, there was one. I saw this the other day, too. Uh, There was one in South Carolina. The council in South Carolina uh, was trying to help save the horse industry in South Carolina. That's right.
3: They're trying to create sort of what I call an incentive grant program there uh, that would funnel some more money
0: into the horse industry in South Carolina. They both got rejected and the council threw them out. So Mm. (laughs) So, there you go. (laughs) That's what you deal with every day, right?
3: That's, that's right. And, and they run the gamut. I mean, right now, California's taking a look at some um, legislation that has to do with the riding on the trails. Uh, and then you've got things like that, what you gave in South Carolina. Um, so it just it's all over the board.
0: Well, and that's what you guys do right at the American Horse Council.
3: That's right. Uh, We really monitor uh, federal legislative and regulatory issues, but things usually start at a grassroots level. So that means we're out there creating advocates and people who are listening at the local level or at the state level for things that might bubble up. Uh, we often say that people are uh, out there, whether they're environmentalists or animal activist or whatever, uh, looking for a soft target. They're looking for a small little place to get a foothold. So they might try with a zoning board in a small community, see if they can get something to happen. And if they get it done there, then that just helps create model language to roll it out across the country. So it's really important that not only we at the American Horse Council let everybody in the horse industry keep their ear to the ground and kind of keep up with what's going on, so we can turn things around when we think there's unintended consequences, or we can lean in when there's something that's going to really benefit the industry.
0: And Megan, what are there? Are there baby? Are there state horse councils like baby horse councils in every state? <laughs> or.
1: Yes, they're, they're not in every state. In fact, I believe there's 26 states that have their own state horse council, um, which is wonderful. And we're trying to always expand that and get more states involved mm-hmm. in having their own horse council. But uh, surprisingly, the top three uh, states in terms of horse population mm-hmm. in the United States, they don't have a state horse council themselves, so and those states are Florida, Texas, and California. Wow, I so a, that's um, funny, isn't it? Yeah, it is. When when Julie told me that, I was I was really kind of shocked about it. But when you think about it, there are so many different entities within those three states that. Control the horse industry and their different ways. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's a matter of too many cooks in the kitchen or sometimes just not enough organization, especially with as large estates as those three states are, whether you're talking about horses or uh, acreage. Well, I live in Florida. Nothing
0: surprises me coming out of here. So I'm, not... <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, I lived in Lexington, Kentucky for a while too. And mm-hmm. I know that the Kentucky Horse Council is very, they're a really, active horse councils oh over they're there. extremely yeah. active
3: and um, do a fantastic job as does Maryland and uh North Carolina and Michigan um you know we, we've got some really Kansas some some great state horse councils that are very very engaged um, but then some state horse councils don't have a lot of um funding and so they're run by volunteers which makes it more challenging for them to to be as active as they'd like to be
0: well, maybe over the time over the next uh, you know year of doing this episode, we can meet some of them, too, so that maybe people can find out who their local their local horse councils are as well. So what will you be doing on these episodes once a month?
3: Well, we've been brainstorming all different ideas for guest speakers that we'd like to introduce your audience to. And then we're also going to give you an update on some of the federal and legislative uh, you know regulatory things that that we're working on. Um, and we've got a, a number of industry initiatives that benefit everyone um, that we'll be talking a little bit about, and we'll we'll take suggestions from your audience. If they have things they want to hear about, we're always happy to to talk about those.
0: And Julie, you came from, uh, uh, I didn't know you at first from American Horse Council. I know you from the Arabian, was it the Arabian Association, right? No? Nope. Nope. I was at the American Morgan Horse oh, Association. Oh, the Morgan for... Horse. That's right. Yeah. Sorry, I got that wrong. Uh, no, that's okay. I was, that was there a for while about, ago. about 10
3: years. Yeah, it's been a little
0: while. Yeah. But we interviewed you first from there, and that's probably 10, 12 years ago.
3: Oh, yeah. I came to the American Horse Council in 2016. I can't believe it's been <laughs> that long right now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but before that, 10 years at, at the Morgan Horse Association, which was great. You know, Morgan horses are, are my passion. That's what I grew up, the breed that I grew up with. And did you compete? I did. I had a stallion. I stood at stud and I had some brood mares and I did you know, trail riding. And then I did some competing.
0: Well, I know you have to live near Washington, D.C. for your job now. Does that mean you have a Morgan out there on the plaza or? uh, No, no?
3: that's a sad tale. You know, everywhere I've ever lived, um, I've been within, I don't know, 30 minutes or so of the barn, got to ride at least once or twice a week. And I came to D.C. and in D.C., they have a lot of eventing and a lot of hunter jumpers and a lot of dressage, but not so much. Of the the what I call the trotting breeds are here. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: yeah, you're not going to get a lot of those there. Yeah, well, and Megan, you we've talked to you over the years for many <laughs> different things. I think. Um, oh yeah, yeah. To so just uh, remind everybody of one or two of them.
1: Um, well, let's see. I, I, one of the most uh, was talking about how corgis can actually do agility. That's and how right. They we are did corgi, agility That's the right. corgi agility with you. The corgi agility. Which has uh, to be the Jul- cutest
0: damn thing ever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Since, like, <laughs> Julie has my back on that because she's got corgis of her own at oh, home. Well. So that was one of the things that we talked about, and then of course talking about um, uh, fractional ownership and racehorses and That's right. and ownership groups and all that was kind of one that was one of the conversations we had. But yeah, I've known you since you. St- Started horses in the morning in the horse radio network when I was at the horse your guide to equine healthcare. So it's pretty crazy, you know. We were just you know little toddlers, barely able to speak then.
0: Yeah, that is true. That is well, maybe (laughs) you were. I'm I'm still. I was old then. So, (laughs) well, I'm so excited to have you guys uh, be part of Horses in the Morning once a month, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you chat about and hearing all of your guests. But what do you say we get today's show started?
3: Sounds good. So coming up on this first episode um, is an introduction to Dude Ranches and our good friend, Russell True, at the White Stallion Ranch in Arizona. So really excited about having Russell with us today. I had the opportunity to meet Russell back in 2020 when he was part of a panel discussion that we had for our conference, and it was fascinating to learn all about the world of Dude Ranches, and as most of your listeners know... um, We're always looking for new ways to introduce people to horses, and a dude ranch experience is a great opportunity. So let me tell you a little bit about Russell. He, along with his brother Michael and their families, own the White Stallion Ranch in Tucson, Arizona. And under their management, that destination is consistently recognized as an award-winning property, both locally, nationally, and internationally. Uh, The ranch has won numerous awards, including being named a TripAdvisor Traveler's Choice for four straight years, USA Today's 10 best summer vacations in the U.S. for families, and being ranked number one on TripAdvisor's hotels in Tucson for nine consecutive years. So they have a deep, rich, robust history in running dude ranches. So Russell, start me off for those that are not initiated What are dude ranches and why are they called dude ranches?
2: (laughs) Well, you know, a dude ranch is anything from a purpose-built place, almost always in a beautiful spot, right? That's, you know, whether it's Montana and all those beautiful mountains and the streams and meadows and all that we think of Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Idaho, or Arizona with our stunning saguaro cactus and the the rugged mountains and the backdrop that I can look up over the computer and see right now. So oh, our beautiful spots <laughs> often they started out as as cattle ranches that began to take on guests who began to be called dudes, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But essentially, they're being on a ranch whether it's really designed just for tourism or often it's a cattle ranch that brings in tourists and either way they get to experience horseback riding they get to experience beautiful country there's no better way to get out and see that country than on the back of a horse you're not watching where your feet land or you know you've you got a little elevation so it's the best way to see beautiful country um, and a lot of good ranches have added everything from spas to e-bikes to rock climbing to shooting to you know cooking classes and and some of these ranches are very upscale but the one thing that that I think dude ranches and I'm a big fan of the dude ranchers association I you know I think that they've got it right when they talk about the 6 H's horses hats hospitality heritage heart honesty and that's the core that we all share Back to dudes. Long answer. Lots of explanations. You can go online and find them. Howard Eaton said, you know, they all Howard Eaton was the original dude rancher at Eaton's Ranch, uh, originally called Custer Trail in the Dakota Territory 1890s. And he said, you know, they all came out, dude it up. I just started calling them dudes.
3: Oh, I love that. <laughs> that's a great explanation.
2: So that's that's the explanation I like. So it's the one I go with.
3: Now, Russell, remind me, you and your family own more than one dude ranch, I think.
2: Well, my wife and I and partners, led by our managing partner, Jay Wells, we also own three other ranches in Arizona, one in Montana, and operate one for the Forest Service in Montana. So, Tombstone Monument Ranch, Rancho de la Osa on the border with Mexico, Kale Bar wickenburg arizona circle bar central montana and oto just outside the gardener entrance to yellowstone it was montana's first dude ranch it's owned by the forest service and we operated under an agreement with them with the intent to rehabilitate and and uh, restore that that they haven't already restored
1: oh that's really cool i I really. That sounds really exciting. So the so the partnership you have with the Forest Service, you guys are helping to, um, to replant and take care of the land around it.
2: Well, you know that's that's their area of expertise. What what they recognize that that I mean, only crazy people should do it anyway. What they know is that they're not operators of dude ranches. And, mm-hmm. and so they have this amazing facility in this spectacular location, 11 miles out of the gardener entrance, hasn't taken guests until eight uh, for 83 years until we brought guests back there last summer. We'll be there again this summer. So we're just the operational
1: oh, okay. uh,
2: entity that uh, cooks, cleans, takes rides, um, cleans up the the mess that that nature brings inside after a long closure. Forest Service has done a really beautiful job of working hard to keep this facility going, but it needs a job. And so we gave it one on their request.
1: Oh, that's really cool. So Russell,
3: tell me, um, I'm I'm guessing the listeners are saying, can anybody have a horseback riding experience on a dude ranch? Is it any skill level, you guys will get even the novice of novices on and show them how to do what needs to be done.
2: Oh, absolutely, and I, and I, you know, I I'm, I'm answering that in a general sense. You know, there's ranches that a novice shouldn't go to, and that ranch is going to be very quick to make that clear to the to the novice or somebody maybe with some physical limitations. So if you're going to rural somewhere in the West and it's a cattle ranch and you're kind of expected to be out there riding with the owners and wranglers for six, seven, eight hours chasing cows and fixing fence, that's not a novice-appropriate experience. And they don't want you and you don't want it. So they're going to make sure you don't come. But places like White Stallion, which is more of a mainstream ranch where we do slow rides, fast rides, all-day rides team penning with the cattle, team sorting. We have an experience for almost everybody. And, and we have big horses for people that don't weigh 180 pounds. And we have an hour slow ride that stays reasonably flat. So even people with some pretty serious physical limitations, uh, blindness, partial paralysis, on and on and on, have been able to get out and, and experience it. And, you know, I always, I quote somebody once who said, you know, getting on a horse makes you bionic.
3: Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that too. I like that too. So I come and I want to ride. My husband comes and he doesn't want to ride. What are the options for him? What kind of experiences can he have while I'm off getting my horse fixed?
2: Well, and that's a classic scenario, right? The women and horses, they're a match. And and sometimes men are in, sometimes they're not. You know, some ranches like ours, all of our ranches, except OTO. Uh, and OTO has tours to Yellowstone and whitewater rafting. So I guess I'd say all of our ranches have other experiences. Um, you know, some have fishing, some have e bikes some have rock climbing all have shooting, archery. Most dude ranches have something for everybody. And, you know, a lot of these northern ranches have these streams and ponds and lakes. And so they have some pretty spectacular, sometimes private fishing. A lot of guys like to fish. Who doesn't like to fly fish? (laughs) And, you know, UTVs, bikes, jeeps, hikes. And, you know, I did old old school dude ranching for the first time in a long time at OTO. And it was basically riding, eating, sleeping. People loved it. Takes everybody's blood pressure down. It's the experience dude ranching began doing offering.
1: And I would, I would assume that especially with, uh, the um, increased popularity of Yellowstone and it's different spinoffs that there's probably been a big growth in people wanting to get that cowboy experience and maybe find their own rip or their own Beth probably.
2: Yeah. we got to cut out a rip. Somebody brought, Um, (laughs) they take pictures with rip here. Um, I like Yellowstone a lot. I love Yellowstone. Um, I also like it because it, um, It brings the modern West into God knows how many homes. Right. Um, It's not all a positive. You know, people ask me about it all the time because it's a phenomenon. Right. (laughs) And so my pat answer that I've given hundreds of times is Yellowstone is absurdity wrapped in reality. And and what I mean by that is, you know, honestly, we don't take people to the train station and we don't <laughs> have these bombings and AK-47 gun battles. But, you know, a lot of what Kevin Costner or Beth or Rip or Lloyd, a lot of that Taylor Sheridan writing,
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's spectacular. And mm-hmm. and I'm not a person who would typically say this. It's almost poetic. And it it speaks to us the Western rural people, because we feel it speaks for
3: us.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely, it, it shines a spotlight on, on, you know, a lot of different, um, issues and a lot of different things that you guys have to deal with as ranchers, not dude ranchers, but as ranchers, and you know the battle for land, and you know the rising prices, and and you know declining declining um, money back and everything. So it. I am, I am a, I am a fan um, and all, and I do think it does a lot of good. But then, of course, yeah. yeah then there's the whole like, well, you know, so they round up all the horses or all the cattle with the helicopter, and it's like, no, nah, not really. <laughs> you know, some of those things. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I'm sure it kind of helps you guys a little bit in different ways. Um, I had, I wondered. I feel like dude ranches are an important part of just like how Yellowstone is, but a dude ranches are also an important part of helping to continue increasing the outreach of the equine industry. And um, would you say that dude ranches are important to the preservation of the American West and the horse industry? And if so, why do you feel that way?
2: Well, my answer is an unequivocal yes to both aspects of your question. So I'm I'm going to start by answering the dude ranch mm-hmm. aspect of preserving the West. And um, I did a couple of books for Arcadia Publishing, dude ranching in Arizona, dude ranching in Wyoming. They're basically collections of historic photos of historic ranches in, in those two states. If I ever get a chance, I'll do some more. But... In that journey of doing that, I wasn't surprised to find, but I had the, the, the fact confirmed that these ranches, let's go back to the very early days. Eaton started 1892, first guest taken. Um, OTO, turn of the century, late 1800s. The people who came to these ranches, they were the elite, the wealthy. This wasn't the working class. Mm -hmm. You know, you didn't come out in a jet. You had to take a train ride. You had to possibly get on a horse or a stage or a wagon to get out to these rural locations. So they stayed a long time. They had money. They had resources. They had the time to give up maybe a month or two or three. But some of them just fell in love with the West and, and they came out and they became important parts of Sheridan, Wyoming, where Eaton's moved their ranch, or Cody, Wyoming. There's huge wealth in Cody and the development and the museums and the um just the the involvement of Eastern educated money was I, I think it's hard to underestimate the impact Dude Ranging had. I mean mm-hmm. they were the first the West's first destination vacation period. And, and so that continues. My dad used to say, you know, my biggest loss of guests is to people who move here.
1: I was just going to ask if there, has been an, if there has been a decrease in the number of dude ranches or if there's been an increase, especially because of such influences like Yellowstone.
2: It's a decrease. Um, lots of reasons. Um, if you're in a Tucson area where we've gone from 127 dude ranches, we were the dude ranch capital of the world to two a lot of that the, the dominant reason for that is growth of tucson development they mm-hmm. just paved over them or turned them into resorts um dune ranches are economically challenging smaller is even more they have high fixed costs economic hard times have a huge impact because they can't adjust like uh some um the uh the other issue is just sometimes families, you know, they're, they're, these aren't corporate owned. So, you know, the kids go, man, mom and dad, I, I I'll tell you right here and now my parents work themselves to death, literally mm. and shorten their lives working so hard. I work hard, but I'm not going to shorten my life doing it. Um, but uh, so those, those kids are gone in the ranches sell, and they become something else. And, you know, there's a lot of real estate value. You mentioned it in Yellowstone, and sometimes a dude ranch that can justify a $2 million value, private owner will buy it for $10 million. Poof, it's gone. Mm-hmm. The other half of your question, to answer really quickly, is there? we had the Equine the Horse magazine publication group here years and years ago, and they loved us. They hadn't been to a dude ranch before because they said, you guys are the best introduction to horse ownership and horse enthusiasm we can imagine. And I agree.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: That's great. What should what should be the criteria, Russell, that people use when they're trying to evaluate um, what's a good fit for them as far as a dude ranch? Uh, how, how can they find the right one for them?
2: Well, I, you know, it used to be they had to look at brochures and it was maybe a combination. You know, I go back far enough that You know, it might be half a page and you have to figure it out from that. Websites, go to the website, do a little directory search, go to the Dude Ranchers Association. You know, Dude Ranchers Association, it's a a long involved process to be a member. So if you find one of those, you know you're on the right track. But then go to the website, do your research. If you're not sure, make a call. The Dude Ranchers... They don't want you to come if they're the wrong ranch. They're honest. They're direct, to, sometimes to a fault. And and they'll help you find the right ranch, even if it's not theirs.
3: Oh, that's great. Well, I can definitely confirm the American Dude Ranch Association is a great group of folks. Um, you can go to their website, check out a lot of the uh, suggestions and the ideas they have there. So check that out, folks.
2: DudeRanches.org. Ranches.org org
3: I interviewed you once before Russell I think you told me speaking of how people find a good dude ranch that you have generations of families that come again and again and again and so word of mouth I bet plays a big role
2: and that's that's for any good dude ranch and and you know dude ranches run 30 to 60 worth 60 65 percent repeat business on an annual basis you know, last week was kind of a fun week for me, particularly because we have four separate families, multi-generation, three generations, all four families. Some of those families, one of those families had come here over 50 years. They were now bringing back the grandkids. Um, they weren't, they just, it was a coincidence they were all here at the same time. I knew the second generation because they were Younger than me, but I watched them grow up, and now they're back with their kids. And you know, of course, I knew their parents, and now they're older than me, and 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 we have such shared experiences um, for thirty to fifty years in those four four families' cases. That's classic dude ranching. That's not that's not unique to us.
1: Great. That's awesome. I know my my mother used to go to a ranch somewhere in Colorado when she was growing up, and I wish we could wish we could have gone with her to um to see it at one point. But um, well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back with Russell True to talk a little bit more about White Stallion and the rest of his ranches.
2: It's time. The 2023 Equine Economic Impact Study is now live help the horse industry by doing your part in participating help fight for green space and public lands help pinpoint areas of growth in the industry to foster while identifying the gaps that need attention help strengthen and protect america's horse industry for years to come participate now in the 2023 american horse council's economic impact study through.
1: With the American Horse Council edition of the Horses in the Morning Horse Radio Network podcast, I'm Megan Arsman with the American Horse Council with Julie Broadway. And we have with us Russell True, who is the owner and manager of White Stallion Ranch and a number of other properties. And Russell, if you could just tell us a little bit about White Stallion Ranch and your other properties that you have and what different amenities you might you guys offer and then we just kind of want to get to know a little bit uh here's some fun stories that you might have from having the dude ranches
2: well you know i i i guess i'm lucky i always think i'm lucky our parents bought white stallion when i was five and it's a long story but the short version is it was a spontaneous decision of my father to move to tucson he was tired of snow and cold and so he decided Mm -hmm. he wants to buy white stallion my mother said no 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 bad idea And finally, she, as she quoted the rest of her life, she said, if I can look at those mountains every morning when I wake up, I'll let you throw our lives away. And and we laughed, but he wasn't because he knew she wasn't joking. She didn't really have a sense of humor. So I live in the house. I'm sitting in the office that they occupied for years, and there's glass all the way across floor to ceiling so they could look at Panther and Safford Peaks. And this is where my mother sat on her manual typewriter responding to inquiries for years and years and years. So White Stallion was a traditional dude ranch. It grew from 200 acres to 3000. We're next to the National Park, two miles of common fence. Um, We've renovated our rooms to where we think they're pretty darn nice without losing that ranch style. Um, We have a spa, a full spa now, we have mountain biking um e-biking fat tire e-biking we have rock climbing on a real mountain biggest private rock climbing destination in america shooting in a wide variety archery jeeps um all kinds of stuff everything from tamale making to evening entertainment we have something from line dancing to cowboy singer to critter show to wild west show every night um We're on the, without being a resort, we're on the more diverse, more upscale side of dude ranching. Certainly some ranches that are far more plush than ours. Uh, Tombstone is just outside Tombstone, looks like Tombstone. It's an 1880s cattle ranch with some newish buildings for guests, all in an old west motif, still looking at the root cellar and the escape tunnel from the Apache's. And we have UTV rides, gun, guns, shooting, archery, and great riding through the historic hills of Tombstone. Rancho Delos on the border with Mexico is the most historic place in Arizona, according to me. Um, three presidents, um, historic uh, ancient Indian, the Hohokam site, um, oldest building in Arizona, 300 years old uh, of European origin. Um, movies, books, it's its amazing. We also have shooting UTVs, um, archery there. And then KL Bar is the oldest continually operating dude range in Wickeburg. Just a really boutique feel, all adobe. Val Kilmer grew up there as a kid. His mother owned it.
1: That's cool. So we've
2: got the Val Kilmer room. Um, and we have all the activities there too. And it just, it really has, it it, it has a, Main room that I think is just the most charming in dude ranching. Circle Barn, Montana, traditional Montana ranch, mile of trout stream, big meadows, big views, pine trees, cottonwood trees, all those fun activities, plus some good fishing. Uh, OTO, old school dude ranching. Go to a Montana's original ranch and go see Yellowstone and uh, do a whitewater trip and, and a spa. Trip there and and uh just uh very historic. You feel the history when you're there. Um, so that's dude ranching. You asked for a quick story, uh, and you said something about celebrities. tell you a quick Tom Hanks story. He was a guest here, and it was hiatus while he was filming Castaway. Had the hair, had the beard. <laughs> and true story, he couldn't ride, he was in his contract, so he biked more dangerous and jogged a lot. So He's out jogging at the very back end of our ranch, right next to the national park, runs into two of our other guests out hiking. And uh, he stops and he says, guys, I'm lost. Can you, I've got this map. I don't know where I am. Could you show me where to go? I want to go here and then back to, yeah, yeah, we know the ranch, we'll show you. So they show him, he's content, he jogs away. And uh, the husband says to the wife, Hey, Stacy. you know who that was? She goes, I have no idea, but he looks just like Forrest Gump. (laughs) And uh, he said, honey, that was Forrest Gump. (laughs) And uh, she's been back since. And she says, you know, Russell, I've told that story 10,000 times. (laughs) But uh, I'll I'll tell you, anybody's interested in Tom Hanks, he was here a week. He's exactly as you would expect. Did he have Wilson with him? Sorry.
1: Did he have Wilson with him?
2: He didn't. Dang. Wilson Wilson was probably being very carefully uh, taken <laughs> care of in Fiji where they shot it. But he was such a nice guy. He was just what he was supposed to be.
3: That's great. That's great. Well, Russell, thanks so much for your time today. And we, we hope that people will Take away from this some of the great opportunities that are out there. Get outside, enjoy that experience at a dude ranch, and look them up uh, online and find a good spot to go vacation
1: at.
2: Well, it's all on the web, white whitestallion.com, and always include duderanches.org. Remember that, O-R-G.
3: Hey, so Megan, that was a lot of fun talking to Russell. I've never been to a dude ranch, and I can only say I've had one Uh, trail riding experience on vacation uh, with uh, some family and Mm -hmm. none of them were riders and they got the best horses because they were really bomb proof and they looked at me and said oh you know how to ride and of course they put me on the one that had a whole lot of spunk to it (laughs) Um, so I would love to go to a dude ranch and have some nice relaxing experience on a horse and get a spa and you know the whole the whole feel of the thing.
1: I know. Same here. I've never been to one. My mom said growing up, they went a lot to one ranch in Colorado and she would always share stories. I wish I could ask her what ranch it was, but it's always kind of been on my, on my bucket list to, to do something like that. And I think, you know, after a day of riding on the, you know, on the ranch and, you know, on the trails and, you know, sitting in that Western saddle for, you know, four, five, you know, maybe even eight hours, I think you need the spa afterwards. I think that would be, that would be the perfect mix of everything, you know, for my uh, techie city, um, city husband and then, uh, me and my, uh, horse, horse, uh, obsessed daughter would be, I think that would be just perfect for us.
3: I have a couple of male friends, um, that are members of the Roundup Riders and they do an annual ride, um, through, I think, Colorado. Uh, And they carry their entire entourage with them. So they have a chuck wagon. They have entertainment every night. The bar rolls with them, the whole thing. It's a great sounding experience. And when they first described it to me, I thought they were out there roughing it. And then he starts telling me about all the amenities. And I said, do they have one of these for women? <laughs> and he's like, no, so let's create one cuz I can get a lot of gals that would be more than happy to do that.
1: <laughs> there we go. I think we could that that will be our next business venture, I think. That would work perfectly. Well, Lamping seg- on the Ranch. There you go. Well, I'm going to segue into a couple
3: of things that I thought listeners might be interested in, sort of related to trail riding and dude ranches. And that's in Washington, D.C. Last year, the Great American Outdoors Act was passed. That was a piece of legislation that was designed to help uh, bring greater um, funding to maintain trails and improve trail amenities and uh, trail heads and all the things that happen in the National Forest Service and the Park Service. And this year, we also have a complimentary act that's going through called America's Outdoor Recreation Act. Again, it's all about Uh, bringing things out into the rural communities, um, getting out there, making it accessible for all kinds of users, whether it's uh, equestrians or bikers or hikers or uh, any of those those folks that are out there using the trails. And so we're really excited about both of these. We've partnered with the Outdoor Recreation Roundtable, which is a coalition of outdoor recreation sports. So if you hunt, fish, boat, bike, <laughs> snowmobiles, whatever it happens to be. They're part of that that coalition. And we've been really busy up on the hill um, trying to get this thing passed. And because there was so much pent up demand for getting out on the trails during the pandemic the whole recreation sector is really flourishing right now. A lot of mm-hmm. attention is being um, given to the outdoor recreation sector because um, we really want to build up those amenities and keep people out there and keep them uh, out there uh, being physically fit and, and using the trails and enjoying the great outdoors.
1: Yeah, definitely. And. And it's, it's important, you know, for so many reasons, whether it be your mental health and your physical health and, and, uh, you know, in a great way to kind of get out there and learn a little bit more about your environment and keeping things going. I know. Uh, during the pandemic, I saw we have a walking trail right behind our house, and it was totally packed. And you saw people out and out at the parks and hiking, even some that never had gone before. So this is definitely something that is much needed and very timely. And hopefully, everything goes through smoothly, and you know we get the funding exactly where we need it to be. Well, I can honestly say that the outdoor
3: recreation trail riders are the largest segment of the entire equine industry. And we divide the equine industry into racing, competing and showing, um, recreational trail riding, and then what we call working horses. And recreational trail riding is the, the largest sector. I, um, therefore, we get a lot of attention uh, to, mm-hmm. to um, providing those kinds of amenities and those kinds of resources for our recreational riders. So we talked earlier a little bit about all kinds of things we keep our ear to the ground on at the American Horse Council. Um, Some of that is at the local or the state level. So we're looking at zoning issues or challenges like that um, or pieces of legislation that are going on in states. Um, Great example is in California. We've been really working hard with the Professional Rodeo Cowboy Association and some other Western sports uh, to overturn plans to ban rodeos in Alameda County. Um, We were really successful, thank goodness, in in Alameda County, and now there's a movement in Los Angeles, and so we've been working on it there. Um, This particular piece of state legislation not only would ban rodeos, but it would ban a number of pieces of equipment that are used by equestrian, and the one I usually like to highlight is spurs, So what it said in this language was any use of spurs would be prohibited. And we think that that's a really uh, impactful thing regardless of what your discipline is. If you're a dressage rider or you're a jumper or whatever you do with your horse, you're gonna probably wear a pair of spurs. Um, And so we really had to do a lot of education campaigns uh, around those communities to get people to understand. I tell people all the time that the average American has not had the same agricultural experience or grown up around horses. And so they just don't understand the nuances of this. So we spend a lot of time talking about that. Um, I mentioned earlier another piece of legislation, this one again in California, where they're talking about asking trail riders to dismount from their horse, pick up their horse poop, and dispose of it, um, and, and then remount and continue riding on the trail. Well, I don't think a whole lot of trail riders <laughs> want to go through that. Um, or the option that they offered was your horse could wear a tail bag. And we don't really want, as most equestrians, really don't want to do that. So we're really in discussions with them talking about what's the true issue here? Is it because the hikers and the bikers... Are concerned about the horse poop that's on the trail itself. Uh, what, what are the what are the concerns? So we're trying to get to the root of that one. So we've got a, a bunch of issues like that. And I'm just picked two in California, but just about every state's got a couple megan out there that we're working on.
1: Exactly. And that's why it's so important that horse owners and even those that are enthusiasts, you know, they, you maybe you don't have a horse right now, or you're just taking lessons, or you volunteer, or you just, you know, you just love the horse. You know, it's very important to. Keep your ear to the ground and be involved in your local uh, in your local government and what's going on in your city, your county and in, in your state. Because a lot of these things that we talk about and we work on for the American Horse Council in D.C. are something that maybe has started on a lower level in the cities and counties and in the state's. So it's really important that we that we get the word out. And I think it's great that we are so active in the things that are happening in California, especially since they are a our number two state for horse population. Yet, once again, as we said, they don't have a state horse council. So I think it's really important to kind of explain how since they don't have a state horse council, how are we helping out in those respects? And how can other states, if they have questions or they have issues that maybe we need to know about, how does the American Horse Council help with that, Julie? So in states where we don't
3: have a state horse council, we're really lucky that we have a lot of good contacts. So in California, we cast a big net. We include everybody uh, who's part of the the industry out there and just trying to get them mobilized and to help we, we, we really turned to them to say it may not affect racing, uh, California thoroughbred breeders and owners, but it does affect our industry in a in sort of a, a negative way. So mm-hmm. we need you to come on board and, and help us with campaigning about the, the issue with the like the rodeo ban or, or whatever it happens to be. So we just turned all kinds of allies out there. We also turned other groups, whether it's Backcountry Horsemen of America or Farm Bureau. Um, or, or other allies that we have that are in operating in those states. A lot of um, breed associations have chapters in states so I might call on the you know the California Quarter Horse association or, or somebody like that um, to try to help us with some of those things even though they don't have a state horse council we can still kind of mobilize a coalition when we need to.
1: Exactly. And that's what we need. You know, we need boots on the ground, whether they're field boots, cowboy boots, or, or, you know, or just your muck boots. So, you know, anybody can become a member of the American Horse Council, whether you are a single person or you are a group. And we encourage you to check out the website horsecouncil.org to learn more. And yeah, we just, you know, make sure you kind of keep your, your ear to the ground and, and Ollie, we we talk about silly there's silly laws all the time that might have been enacted a long time ago and are still kind of active now. And it seems to me that the law in California, them talking about us picking up um our horses' manure is definitely going to be one of those that hopefully we are able to chuckle about in the future when it's not really a real law and uh <laughs> and everything. Cause I just I, I can't imagine having to get down constantly and doing that i i I pick up my dog's poop when we walk but i can't imagine having to do that every time they they don't make they don't make poop bags that big for horses that's for sure
3: so thank you for joining us for our first episode we hope you've really enjoyed this Uh, we're looking forward to sharing some more stories with you about people that are in the horse industry and what makes the horse industry so special a couple of thoughts that we had, so not confirmed, but still kind of on our radar. Uh, we've been doing a big initiative at the American Horse Council for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we'd really like to to touch Compton Cowboys and cowgirls of color and equestrians of color and get some of those kind of folks on with us. Uh, we'd like to have a panel discussion with some of our academia to talk a little bit about what's going on um, at the university level. Uh, We're struggling with a shortage of veterinarians, if you hadn't heard. So we really want to spend a little time talking about what are some of the things that the industry is doing to kind of stand up programs to encourage people to go to veterinary school, stay in the veterinary practice, that kind of thing. Um, And I've just got a laundry list of ideas that we've brainstormed of things that, that we could throw out there that we think are interesting. But again, as I said in the opening of this, be sure to send us your suggestions and we'll see what we can do to get in some of these other stories that you guys might be interested in hearing about.
1: Definitely. We want to share as many different ways that you can contribute to supporting our beloved animal and the industry that we are all a part of. You can check out more information about the American Horse Council on our website at horsecouncil.org or on social media. Just search for American Horse Council. You can also subscribe to the Horses in the Morning on any podcast player and find all the shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. And as we like to say at the American Horse Council, hashtag here
3: for horses. See you next time. Thank you.